Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Like a sound you hear that lingers in your ear, but you can't forget from sundown to sunset. It's all in the air, you hear it everywhere, no matter what you do, it's gone. That was California Soul from Marlena Shaw here on Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM with me, Elliot Moss. Thank you very much for joining me. Another edition of Jazz Shapers, the place where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, soul and blues, alongside their equivalents in the world of business, a business shaper. My business shaper today is the very well-known Nicola Horlick of City fame, Superwoman fame, and now the CEO of Money & Co, a new crowdfunding business, as well as a few other chairmanships of other businesses, which we will talk about Lots coming up from Nicola very shortly. In addition to hearing from her, you'll also be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea. Some words of advice for your business. And as well as all of that, some brilliant music from the Shapers of Jazz, Soul and Blues, including Trombone Shorty, James Bound, and this from Chorus Fortet and Omar. A travelling man, eyes young, heels old, left secret worlds in paper folds. You'll come to know it shall be solved by walking. That was Song for the Open Road from Kairos Fortet and Omar. Nicola Horlick is my business shaper today. She is, as I said earlier, the CEO of Money & Co, a new crowdfunding platform. She is also very famous for being one of the most high-profile women through the 80s and the 90s in the mean and evil world of the city. Nicola, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Tell me about um, how you managed to get into the city in the first place and why you wanted to. Well, actually, from the age of sort of five through to 17, I was going to be an actress. And I did huge amounts of drama and went to festivals and had lots of cups and trophies and stuff. And when I was 17, I had an audition at RADA. But I also had a place at Oxford University. And the principal of RADA said to me, I think you should take up your place at Oxford, do lots of acting and then come back. So I went to Oxford, did lots of acting and somehow ended up in the city. And I'm really not sure to this day how that happened. I think it was partly that, you know, we were Mrs Thatcher's children. It was that generation. I went to Oxford in 1979 and everybody was walking around wearing, you know, the boys were wearing corduroys and, and, and jackets and, you know, brown uh, brogues. And I was walking around wearing a tweed skirt and a cardigan and some pearls. It was all very serious. <laughs> yeah, it was all very serious. Uh, very different to the 60s and the early 70s, mm-hmm. I think. And and the city suddenly became a big thing. And I just and I don't normally get swept along on waves of enthusiasm created by other people, um, but I did. And and so I decided to apply to some banks, and I was very fortunate and got a job at what was regarded at as the best merchant bank, Warburg's, at that time. That's back in 1983. Yeah. Now, just to stay on the acting for a minute, because that is quite a move, uh, were you good? I mean, you must have been pretty good if Rada were wanting you. And, and if you were good, do you still... Do you think that's that being good at acting has helped you through your career and everything else that you've had to manage in your life? Yes. Um, I was told I was good. And I think it did help me enormously because a lot of what I have to do is communicate... And so because I was doing so much acting, I didn't have pushy parents who made me do it. It was me who made me do it. And I was able, therefore, to 
learn how to communicate in a way that didn't necessarily mean that I needed lots of notes or PowerPoint presentations. So you know, I can stand up in front of two and a half thousand people at the NEC in Birmingham and speak without notes because I did so much drama when I was young. And so I think it was extremely useful. And it's it's something I look for, actually, on CVs, is to see if people have done drama, debating, things like that. Because a lot of what we do these days is, is about communication. What would you say is the craft skill that has enabled you to um, do so well in your career and different elements of your career, whether it's writing the book, which I want to talk about later, um, or whether it's the banking job or now running your own business? Um, Well, I think it's not so much a skill. I think enthusiasm is very important. And I'm very enthusiastic. And I'm also very much a glass half full rather than glass half empty person. And I can always see the positive, even in dire, terrible situations. And I think that's really helped me in life generally, because I've had to deal with some pretty terrible situations, and also in business. But also, I think, you know, I think I've become better as a manager of people and managing my business since I became a mother. I became a mother pretty early on. I was only 25 when I had my first child. But, you know, managing people is very much like being a mother. It's about setting parameters and making things clear to people and helping them with their hopes and aspirations and giving them guidance. And so I found that those twin roles worked really well together, that being a mother and managing lots of people worked really well together. Stay with me to hear more from Nicola Hall at My Business Shaper. You'll be getting lots of insight from her over the course of the programme. Time for some music. This is Dave Brubeck and Unsquared Dance. That was Dave Brubeck with Unsquare Dance. Nicola Horlick is my business shaper, city guru, I suppose they call you now, um, and famed for being called the superwoman of the city, the person, the, the mum, as you were talking about in terms of management, and also being incredibly successful at what you did. You talk, and I don't know if it's being humble or whether you're deciding to, to choose not to, you talk about enthusiasm as a craft skill. To, to be in the city in that environment, one needs to be pretty tough, I imagine, and tenacious. Um, and indeed, in your own career, you took on management of, I think it was Morgan Grenfell Asset Management many years ago, and you kind of stood up to them. As you talk to other women now, rather than just generally people that you manage or anyone else, do you tell them to be tough? Do you say, come on, toughen up, young woman? Or mm-hmm. or is it not like that? I think that that's a personality thing. Some people are tough and some people aren't. And maybe that's why a lot of women don't like working in the city. Um, One thing that's actually really disappointed me is that over the 31 years that I've been in the city, I haven't noticed that many more women there. There are at the lower levels, but often by the time they get into their late 30s, they've left and had babies not returned or gone off to do something else. A lot of them leave during trainee programs. I used to recruit equal numbers of men and women at graduate level and often most of the women had left after three years and gone off to do things like journalism and PR and things where they felt more comfortable, where there were more women. And so that is actually something that's really sad. But I agree. I mean, you know, it's quite a difficult environment. It's quite aggressive and you do need to be tenacious in order to survive. But I think that's something that you're you're either born to be like that or not. 
And the book that you wrote, Can You Have It All? Um, and that was in around 97, 98, I believe, just after you, you'd finished working at, um, at Morgan Grenfell. That book, still people talk about that book, and that's either a good thing because it was so memorable or a bad thing because, as you just said, things haven't really moved on. In fact, they've regressed a little bit. Can, I mean, is, is the question still apt? It seems to be, and it seems to, the answer seems to be, well, it's pretty blooming difficult. Can you have it all? Do you have it all? Well, I, well, the reason that I en- entitled it Can mm. You Have It All was because people used to refer to me in newspapers as the girl who had it all. Yeah, and you said no, and, no, no. Well, no, and they looked at me as being somebody who got to the top of my profession at a very early age. I became a director of a major bank when I was 28, and that, that was obviously very young. Um, then I was running a major business for another bank at the age of 30. Yeah, and, and people looked at me and saw material possessions and wealth and cars that came from being so successful so young and thought I had it all and the reason I wrote that book and the reason that was the title was because that made me feel really angry because I had a child at that time who had leukemia and I didn't know whether she was going to live or die and ultimately she died and I kept thinking why do people think I'm the girl who has it all because I don't have Georgie's health and that's the thing I want most in life and however successful I am and however much money I have I'm never going to be able to get that back and you know and so that made me really cross and irritated and really that book I mean it does go into you know the ins and outs of how I got to where I got in my career but in many ways it's the story of a little girl fighting for her life and at that stage she was still alive but a year later she was dead and you know it just makes me cross when people focus on the the brilliant career stuff mm. because really is that relevant to is anything that, yeah and that's interesting i want to talk to you about that in the in the context of you becoming an entrepreneur even if you're an entrepreneur or then becoming an entrepreneur later on because i think it's absolutely the core of what's going on we've got the latest travel coming up in a couple of minutes and before that some words of wisdom from our program partners at mishkondorea for your business My name is Gary Miller, and most of my time is spent looking at issues that clients, both big and small, have in relation to problems with directors, employees, business partners. And one of the things that I thought um, would be useful to share with you is the importance of preserving electronic data, no matter how big or small your business is. Sadly, it's a fact of life that sometimes you've got a, a fellow director or an employee who has left you and gets into or gets you into some form of trouble or you find that something has been done by that person that you would like to be able to take some action Um, but he's gone and you don't have the evidence or you think you don't have the evidence and maybe that person has cleaned his tracks and has taken all of the documentation with him. Um, A quick fix or an easy um, piece of advice to businessmen um, and women is to make sure you keep a copy of the electronic data and in particular the email traffic, the inbox and the uh, other email uh, material and Word documents that that individual has been using. It's dead easy to take a copy of that as the employee is leaving, store it for a reasonable period of time because you never know when it might come uh, in useful in terms of future action. A particular um, case comes to mind. A few months ago, we were retained by a client who had discovered that an employee who left him three or four years before that had now developed, taken with them and developed a very, very lucrative business opportunity. And it was only by going back and recreating the data on that client's computer that we found the very incriminating evidence that we needed in order to pursue that ex-employee. 
and um, he now realizes and has now taken steps to make sure that for all of the people that are leaving his organization, he preserves the copies of that electronic data for a reasonable period of time. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, every Saturday morning, 9am sharp, here on Jazz FM. Make sure you book your appointment early. You will get to hear me talking to some brilliant people who are shaping the world of business and have been doing so for a number of years and will do so hopefully in the years to come. My business shaper today is Nicola Horlick. Um, aptly named uh, or however you want to call it a superwoman uh, of the day but someone who quite rightly put the record straight and said hold on a minute i can have certain things but i haven't got everything and i've been talking to her about that as well as how she's not just survived the city but um has lived to tell the tale quite well um tell me now you, you know you you moved away from you, you wrote your book you kind of got it out in a way you said that stuff you've had personal tragedies you talked about with your daughter and then many things happened through the, the early 2000s. I want to jump to now. You've really you've you've created your own business for the first time. This is properly yours. What encouraged you to do that? Why was it? Why was the time right? Well, it was a long time ago now that I actually set up my original business. It was in 2004, so 10 years ago. Yeah. And I had um, set up for a French bank, Sotgen, a fund management business in London. They didn't have anything strangely at the time. And we, the management team, owned a big slug of that, and I had sold it back to them. And then they started interfering in what I was doing, and I found that a bit irritating. So I was actually going to go to Australia and run part of AMP's business, the largest insurance company in Australia. And I was going to take the whole family, I was going to go for three to four years. And I had given up my job at Sokjan, and I had taken the children out of their schools, and we were about to exchange contracts on a house. And then I found myself in an unexpected divorce situation. So I couldn't really, I didn't think it was right to take my children that far away from their father. So I had to do a bit of a U-turn on the whole thing, which was really embarrassing and difficult and really hard to unravel. And I then thought, well, what I'm going to do now is set up my own business because I'd sort of done everything. I got to the top of my profession so quickly. I was really fortunate that... I sort of felt that that was the right next move. And there were people who were prepared to back me. And so it was actually really very easy. So I just said, right, this is what I'm going to do. Some people said, here's some money. I put some money in myself. We got an office in Knightsbridge, which was rather nice than being in the city. And we then set up in business and started. And Sir Derek Higgs, who had been one of my sort of city mentors through my career, said he would be the chairman. So Derek and I then set the business up together and got on with it. And over those years, the first few years that it ran, had you encountered things that you never thought you'd encounter? Yeah, I mean, it's much more difficult running your own business, especially in financial services. And why is that? Well, first of all, you have all these regulatory controls and uh, you have to have certain amounts of regulatory capital and all that sort of thing. So that makes it quite stressful. So I think anyone who runs their own business, and I'm sure there are lots of people listening who do, knows that you can never forget about it. If you're working for a large organisation, it's not your you problem. You can go home on a Friday, have a lovely weekend and go back on a Monday and switch on again. But with, a, with your own business, you literally never stop thinking about it. So for the last 10 years, since I've been running my own businesses, 
I, I never have any downtime, really. And it's made worse by the fact that I've got a film business now, which is in Los Angeles, where they're eight hours behind us. Perfect. You don't have any, you don't have any time to do anything except work. We're going to hear yeah. lots more about how you're not managing that 24-hour job uh, yeah. or jobs that you now, you now have. Time for some music. This is Vio Carre from Trombone Shorty. That was Trombone Shorty with Vio Carre. I've been talking to Nicola Horlick about how there just aren't enough hours in the day by the sounds of it and how you can't leave your troubles or your or your thoughts behind. Ten years in, the seasoned entrepreneur and you must know how to deal with that, right? Must be. I mean, you must somehow or other learn to switch off or are you actually quite happy not switching off? I think, again, it's to do with character. I mean, I'm just... I am actually a naturally very laid-back person who can absorb probably more stress than the average person. So it is really stressful doing what I'm doing, but I can, I can cope with it. And I'm, I'm not naturally someone who needs... I mean, I need sleep. I do actually... I do need to sleep between midnight and 6, 6.30 in the morning. So you need at least... You need some I need six to six okay. and a half hours sleep. I'm not a three-hour-a-night no. person. Um, but as long as I get that sleep and... Because I know I've got lots of people around me who are really supportive, I can I can deal with the stress. Also, I've got three whippets who I stroke a lot, a lot and that makes me feel happy. <laughs> the, the, the whippets aren't involved in the business too much, so I'm no, sure. They're, no, they're not. Although, actually, we were moving offices recently and something went slightly wrong because the new office wasn't ready on time. And so we ended up in my house with a whole bank of desks. I had to move everything out of the front of the house. And we were there for quite a few weeks and the Whippets loved it because they're very sociable. <laughs> is, your, is your management style, and this is just, it's, it's just purely going on instant, is it, is it pretty, once people know you, they really see the real you? Are you quite um, guarded at first and then you, you, know, you, you relax or are you much more what you see is what you get from day one? Yeah, what you see is what you get. I'm not guarded at all. So it's just a, you know, the straight read. No, but I do get, I mean, everybody who meets me says, my goodness, you're so different to how I imagined because they have an, an idea of what someone should be like if they work in the city, I suppose. I don't know. Mm. And, and, and so the, how would they describe you as a manager? You, you describe yourself as quite maternal. You said that being a mother helped. Yeah. Is that how they tell? Would they say, I, oh, yeah, right? I'm very collegiate yeah. and I'm very maternal. I'm very team orientated. It's a team approach. I'm just the, the first among e- amongst equals, as far as I'm concerned. Someone has to take overall decisions. So eventually, if, if Nicholas says it's got to be like that, it's going to be like yeah, that. Yeah, if, if, if we can't find a way through, then someone has to make a decision. And there are certain things, yeah, I, it's very unusual, though, for me to have to impose anything on mm. my colleagues. We generally come to a decision and then it's implemented. And I will say, right, we'll hear all the pros and hear all the cons and then we decide. And And... All through my career, I've always been very keen on making sure that we look at both sides of any argument, whether it's looking at an investment, because, you know, a lot of people when they're looking at investments, if they really want to do it, will say, these are all the reasons why you should buy it. And I then say, and what are the reasons why we shouldn't? And, you know, and a lot of people will come to you with a very angled argument and I'm very good at saying let's look at the pros and the cons and also I don't if I have a view and someone comes and puts a coherent argument as to why I might be wrong or why I should change my mind I will say you're right we should change our minds about this and not do it that way Fantastic, we'll have a final chat with Nicola plus play a track from James Brown, that's after the latest traffic and travel here on Jazz FM 
Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. One, two, get down! Paid the cost to be the boss Paid the cost to be the boss I paid the cost to be the boss Look at me You know what you see that was the boss rather aptly from James Brown. Nicola Hoyg is my business shaper just for a few more minutes. Your new venture is a crowdfunding platform and crowdfunding is becoming a little bit more trendy and people are talking about it as another way of raising funds. What interested you? Where did your antennae start to move around crowdfunding and what's the business really about now? Right, so one of my other businesses is, is a private equity business and it's done really well. And one of the things that I was hearing from companies over the last few years was, it's great, we can get equity, so we can get people to buy shares in our company, but we're finding it rather more difficult to borrow money when we need to. The banks are being really difficult. And so I thought that maybe it would be a good idea to set up a platform where individuals looking for a better return on their cash could basically lend to companies and cut out the bank because the bank is giving us all very derisory sums of interest on our cash even if you've got it out there long term yeah a lot of the time you're getting a half or three quarters of of a percent which is nothing and then they're lending it to companies and charging them seven eight nine percent so what we're doing is basically cutting out the bank so if a company borrows at eight percent then we get a fee of one percent and the lender gets seven percent So not half a percent or three quarters of a percent, but seven percent. And we're talking about very safe companies. I'm not saying that nothing's ever going to go wrong, but we've done very thorough due diligence and checks on the companies. They have to have been in business for at least three years. They must be profitable. And we also take something called a debenture over the assets of the company, which means that if something does go wrong, we're first in line. So, you know, this is actually a really good proposition in terms of giving savers a better return on their cash. But it's also helping the British economy, which is vital at this stage in our recovery. Just before I ask you about your song choice, um, you wrote the book, however long ago it was, 14 years ago. And the answer to the question was, well, hold on a minute, I don't have it all. Are you happier now? Than you've ever been is that a or is it still you is it a work in progress are you only ever as happy as the day has gone calmly whether it's at home or in the office I'm naturally a happy person I'm not a sad person I'm really lucky in 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 that respect but you know as I said earlier my daughter died and she was two when she got leukemia and she died when she was 12 and that now was 16 years ago so she's sort of frozen in time forever as a 12 year old and that is desperately tragic and something that you can never recover from now it's not that I'm breaking down every five minutes and sobbing but in in my heart I am you know and and there's this rawness and sadness and upset that will never go away and I know that Georgie would not want me to be moping around and whinging about it she'd want me to be getting on with it which is why I do it's one of the reasons that I am strong is because I know she'd want me to be and also I had to be there for my other five children one of whom was born rather strangely I got pregnant a month after she died and and so 10 months after she died I had another baby so I had to I had to be strong so you know the thing is am I happy yes I'm happy 
I'm incredibly lucky. I have five wonderful children, a wonderful husband. But there's but a strain there's that's a never going to... Of course, yeah. absolutely. Uh, just before I let you go, uh, Nicola, what is your song choice and why have you chosen it? Yeah, well, you know, I'm talking here to lots of experts on jazz and I'm not an <laughs> expert on jazz and they're all going to throw up their hands in horror and say, what a cliche. But I am going to ask for Summertime with Ella Fitzgerald um, singing it because it's beautiful. Nicola, thank you very much for being my business show, but this is your choice. It's Summertime from Ella Fitzgerald. Summertime And the living is easy Fish are jumping And the cotton That was Summertime from Ella Fitzgerald, the song choice of my business shaper, Nicola Horlick. Super successful, one of the most successful people in business over the last 30 years. Perspective that ensured that she never got too het up about what was going on in the business world. And someone who is absolutely tenacious about what they want to achieve. Do join me again, same time, same place. That's 9am next Saturday for another edition of Jazz Shapers. In the meantime, stay with us. Coming up next here on Jazz FM, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea, it's business, but it's personal.